Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Welcome to the UCM. Today's a special occasion because we have the haunted auction happening. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened. Yeah, I know. And it just so happens that we have a guest visitor in our presence. Oh. All the way from Yeah, all the way from Key West, you Florida. Really, you need to tell me when we have guests. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted it to be a surprise. Joe, we're, no, I th- Joe we're, we're in front of a bunch of people right now at, at an auction. We started uh, bidding at 1,000. Do I hear 1,000? Okay, you know, 2, the, the museum's not 2, doing 000. very good. Do I have 3, we gotta 000, be, 3, we, we gotta be bringing in more money, and yeah, you, you can't... It, we're under a lot of stress right now. We're trying to auction stuff off, and now you spring a surprise guest on me. Yeah, well, I think you're gonna like it, and I think the audience is gonna like it as well. Okay. It's an important day for the Uncanny Candy Museum because we have all the way from the Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, Robert the Doll for one day only. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Robert so, the Doll. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this. Uh, t- tell me. Yeah. Tell me about this doll and why. Why is it in our presence? Right. Well, f- first, no, no photographs unless you ask the doll. That's oh. a, that was a rule at the museum told me and to tell everybody else as well that, that was on his rider? guidelines yeah i mean there's a set of contracts that we had to get into one of which was you know you can't move him without his permission but luckily we kind of figured that out and smoothed it over with the doll and then also he can't be photographed without being asked so consent is important okay um yeah you're, you're talking very uh you're, you're talking very personally about this doll mm-hmm. um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. explain well, you see, Zant, this doll's cursed. Okay. Yeah. So, Robert the doll, who is named after his owner, Robert Eugene Otts, or Gene as he went by. It kind of sounded like to... you were, it kind of sounds like you're saying Raw doll. Raw doll, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Raw doll, the cursed doll. 
<laughs> Robert, <laughs> Robert the doll was given to uh, Jean by the family maid who was in their payroll, I guess, at the time. However, from some other sources that I've been researching into, apparently the family owned a plantation. And so the maid slash servants were most likely formal slaves because this was happening in the 1900s. So okay. Robert or Jean lives from 1900 to 1974, but we'll get into that. Okay. So there's there's a rumor that the doll, when it was given to Jean, was actually cursed by um, the maid or the family maid, and she put like a voodoo spell. Because of course, in the world of in the world of uh, you know plantation owners, the bad mm-hmm. guy has to be a voodoo priest. Always, 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 because Catholicism and Christianity is always righteous. Anyway, aside uh, from that, in, in Catholicism, what is uh-huh. uh, wh- what are wh- what do curses mean to Catholics? I mean, I know Voodoo borrows from Catholicism in in the Caribbean and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. what to you and to your family, like, what what are curses? Uh. Growing up, that's like a big deal, I would say, and even really? being taught curses. Cur- yeah, curses definitely exist um, within, at least within how I was taught with Catholicism. Definitely on the Italian side, for sure. Mm-hmm. Demons, you know, curses, ghosts—it's all real, uh, but in like kind of different ways. And so usually it's like, like you ever hear the evil eye? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, 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 that predates Catholicism. Oh yeah, for sure. But it got adapted in. So like a lot of things like that get kind of adapted into Catholicism to fit the norm and allow people to connect. So like that's still, you know, my mom and everybody firmly believes in that. Okay. And and the evil eye. And so like, I, I, yeah, I would say this kind of fits right in. It's definitely there and it exists. Um, You know, people call a priest when there's ghosts in the house. Okay. I've seen that happen a few times. Not personally, but but anyway, yeah. I think it's something they probably should have did in this situation, but decided not to. Or, you know, I guess if we had paranormal investigators at the time, but... Okay, so uh, so voodoo uh, practitioner uh, curses mm-hmm. the doll, gives it to the family. Yep. Yes, and so yeah, the doll, as you can see, the doll has is filled with straw, and it's got this really creepy boy's sailor suit on it. And there's like multiple holes in the face, so it's it's definitely a creepy doll. And maybe it's just seen mm-hmm. some time. I you know I can't I, mean, I can't decide if with the holes in the face, I don't I can't tell yeah. if the sailor suit makes it creepier. I think it does. I think it makes it creepy, like really creepy, because it's like yeah. innocent. And when you find out what this doll does, it's gonna make it even worse. Oh, great! All right, I already don't. <laughs> yeah. I already don't like this doll. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah. I guess. So as Gene was growing up, he was super close with Robert the doll, and they would play together, and he would always be in his room with this doll, and they would be talking, and the family would actually hear them. You know, Gene, as you know, children do, playing with this doll and talking out loud, except they would hear two different voices. And what was reported was that one voice was Jean's and the others was a much deeper kind of adult voice that would be very hard for Jean or a child his age to replicate. But who knows? Okay. And so that was sort of the first strange occurrence that was happening. The next get a lot more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so there was one night where Jean's parents were woken up and he, they rushed into his room and found that he was passed out, still sleeping, but the furniture was completely wrecked all over the place, thrown in like kind of a circle around the bed. And the doll was just peering at him, kind of menacingly, I guess, if 
it can have any expression, but just sort of sitting in the corner looking at Gene sleep. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and when he woke up and the parents were like, hey, uh, what happened? And he was like, oh, well, that was Robert. What? And they, Yeah, so anytime <laughs> something weird would happen... And just Robert, the, Robert's he, over there like, you fucking narc. <laughs> yeah, he, he would blame the doll every single time. And I think there was a little bit of like, oh, well, kids... Gene, I thought, I thought we had an understanding... Exactly. But this is a pattern that we're going to see happen throughout the rest of his life. And so, you know, eventually this this keeps happening and this continues. And so later on, you know, Gene becomes an adult. His parents grow old in the house. And, oh, actually, I forgot to mention, we should probably talk about the fact that this doll was locked in the attic towards the end of its life. Oh. Um, so, like, as Gene... Well, now I'm on Robert's side. Well, yeah, it's not great. I guess the parents kind of got fed up and they pretty much were like, yeah, nah, we're done with this. And they put him in the attic all alone. You know, I may be filled with straw, but I think you're the heartless ones. (laughs) Exactly. They were, it wasn't, I don't know. I think it was an aggressive move that maybe this is why he doesn't like to be moved. So later into his adult life, his parents pass away. And so Gene, who is since married to his wife, Anne, they move into this house or back to his childhood home. Mm-hmm. And reportedly, he found the doll and immediately kind of became friends again. He was like, buddy-buddy really? buddy with this doll 24-7. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's an interesting reconnection thing. Yeah, well... well you know what? Maybe, maybe it's because he's married at that point because I feel like, you know, if you're dating someone and you <laughs> have a creepy old doll in your room... Yeah, well, well, like you know, my my ex girlfriend hated that I had a signed port, uh, a signed headshot of Tommy Wiseau uh, hanging <laughs> next to our bed, and she would tell me most mornings how much she hated it. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I can only imagine if I had a creepy doll in a sailor suit. But you know what? Now that he's married, I can, I mm-hmm. guess, I could kind of say it's like, oh, it's kind of his wife being like, oh, it's kind of quirky. That's quite, that's kind of nice. Well, Suzanne, that's, be a little, <laughs> that's where you'd be a bit wrong, because she hated it. Oh. Um, yeah, and uh, and this is why. And so mm-hmm. so pretty much, they were like, buddy to buddy, he reconnected with this doll almost immediately. And I'll get into my theory later why I think that is. But for mm-hmm. now, let's just cater to the fact that this doll is most likely possessed by something. Okay. So, he gets back with this doll, he's always with it, and his wife starting to get really frustrated about this, because it's going on for a couple years. And there's reports and yeah, they're mostly reports. And I wouldn't even say rumors that he's very abusive towards his wife on multiple occasions. Oh, but when, but yeah, it gets kind of dark real quick. And Mm -hmm. so when confronted about it though, he would blame the doll again. It would be like, he had no recollection of what happened and it would be like, Oh no, that was Robert. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. And just wouldn't remember being angry. And so he would go from like these mood swings that would just completely change throughout the week or the day or month where he'd be you know very happy very sad super angry and then back to normal and then happy you know continuously and again it's this doll's doing and so eventually Anne gets really frustrated with this and just throws the doll in the attic and just locks it back up there done okay so wait is is Anne corroborating this that uh that she is being abused by the doll hmm I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I don't think so. 
she doesn't really buy into she she definitely i think thinks that the doll is cursed but it was more or less i'm not dealing with this okay that was kind of her but i think for her you know your husband immediately is kind of in quotes possessed and you don't know it and Mm -hmm. is being abusive towards you and angry all the time i think for her it's a bit of confusion i'm not entirely sure though you know we we, we won't really be sure in this case but Mm -hmm. it 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 sounds like it was quite a frightening ordeal and for her it was like if i can separate them that'll be good right okay because even our gene doesn't really think this doll is bad necessarily but there's an attraction to it like i don't even know if he thinks it's possessed like i think if he Mm -hmm. were here today he i don't know if he would say like this doll was a ghost or not right but mm-hmm. unfortunately, he's not because he passed away in 1974. And so soon after that, uh, Anne puts up their house to lease and she books it out of there. Yeah. She's like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I'm selling out. I'm gone. She leaves and the house goes up for lease and renters start coming in. Yeah. And so with that, there's reports of the doll making noise in the attic, moving furniture, throwing things. And when people would go upstairs, you know, they would see that the the rooms were a mess. Everything Ooh. was destroyed. This doll would be in different positions what? than left. Yeah, it gets wild. You know, like, imagine going upstairs to this attic and hearing something, and the doll is in a corner. And you're like, all right, I'm keeping an eye on you. And then you mm-hmm. leave. And then an hour later, a chair or something gets thrown into the door mm-hmm. or the wall. And then you show back up, and the doll's on the other side of the room. And you were not up there. Okay, all right. So we're we're getting creepy, but yeah. I mean, it, it it hasn't entered into the realm yet of you couldn't disprove that this wasn't raccoons yet. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So at this point, a little later the dog gets donated to the museum, which was actually an old abandoned war fort or I think it's a civil war era fort that was turned into a Kind of a spooky museum, a haunted museum, if you will, which is fitting for our. You know what? What's spooky about Civil War forts in Florida? None of them got used. They're. <laughs> I don't know. Civil War forts in Florida are just so intact because guess what? We were pretty far south. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's always haunted, right? Like, because this one specifically, it's noted to being a haunted museum with different objects in it. Yeah, and so. It's a fitting place, I think, for this doll to end up. Yeah. And, you know, through multiple interviews and reports, it's shown that the people who work in the museum are kind of uncomfortable with this with its presence. Was it donated under the pretense that it was cursed or it was donated because it belonged to this well-to-do family? Um, I would say the like the former. Okay. The first one on this. I don't know if it was necessarily because they were like a well-off family. Because this is like a famous house at this point because it's massive and also it's it's now kind of a tourist attraction to go by and visit and such for ghost you know ghost tours of florida and things like that yeah so so i don't know if it's necessarily for that i think it would be because hey this doll is freaky it's haunted it's cursed uh i think this is a good place to put it and so it gets put in a glass container which we're seeing you know mm-hmm. into the museum and for all people to come see but here's where things get a little strange and where i you know brought up the fact that we shouldn't be taking any pictures and you have to ask this doll's permission so according to the museum owners and the people who work there robert the doll requires those who come to visit it to ask permission to take photos of it and so there's multiple instances where visitors would come to the museum take photos and either their camera equipment would act up 
all the photos would be of Robert in one case. What? Or, yeah, that was a story that I thought was pretty bizarre. Somebody said that they took pictures of the museum, and then they went home, and they developed the role, and it was all of Robert, Mm -hmm. which I don't really get that one. But, hey, you know, at this point, mm, I don't know, right? Right. So... So at this point, how much mm-hmm. uh, how much do we hear for Robert the doll? Who likes what they're hearing so far? Do I hear ten dollars? Ten dollars. Keep selling it, Joe. Keep selling it. Yeah, I think he's worth a bit more than that, don't you think? Uh, just just keep hyping it up. No, no, yeah. no one's bidding on this doll. Yeah, Zam, we don't actually we don't actually own the doll. We can't we can't actually sell it. What did? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. He's our we have to raise some money for the museum, so... Oh, yeah, all right, all right, just keep going. We'll get, we'll get to the haunted eBay auction later where we're actually selling <laughs> some objects here. And so continuing on with these very strange occurrences, it's also reported that people would leave this museum, go home, and then just crazy things would happen to them, losing, you know, from losing keys to accidents to all kinds of just, I don't know, things that are... I would argue are coincidence, but also kind of spooky, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a bit odd that all of a sudden I left this museum after taking a photo of a doll and I'm locked out of my hotel. Yeah. And things get worse. And so people will, there's sort of this practice that happens at the museum and we can see actually one of the letters is on the, on the glass here that people will actually leave notes for Robert, both warning people, hey, don't photograph this doll because this is what happened to me or, hey, Robert, um, I'm really sorry. You know, in one mm-hmm. in one case, there's this letter here that says, hey, Robert, I'm really sorry that I took a photo of you. Uh, please uncurse me. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So people kind of take it seriously, but it's become this sort of gimmick for the museum where, you know, people go and they say, oh, the doll, it's a haunted doll. And they kind of mess around, they see all the things, they take their photo, you know, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty weird story. And it's something that I think is worth kind of mentioning and talking about and i think it's a fitting connection to our haunted auction here at the museum yes i think you of the two of us you're the one that has a bit more experience we could say a little bit more of a belief in the supernatural and the hauntingness (laughs) of things yeah i mean you know Mm. you know joe uh you know everyone that has ever touched the mona lisa has died really yeah, eventually. I mean, you know, every, everybody <laughs> dies. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, wrong in yeah. a sense. I mean, well, so the thing, okay. No, I, I was, you know, I, I was like looking for things that we could, you know, try to sell to that, that were in the museum's collection that, you know, nobody really cares about on display, but, you know, might spark some interest if they were to enter private hands, you know, mm. and, you know, people could do with these those cursed objects, whatever they wanted. And to me, who doesn't necessarily believe in curses, I've, I've never encountered a ghost, you know, to me, it's it's no sweat off my back. Where, where are you coming from with this? Well, I think there's some credibility to certain parts of this story, and I think there's some bullshit to it. Okay. Honesty. Let's break it down. So... I personally don't think that this doll is voodoo cursed. I think that's a racist trope that's thrown around a lot mm-hmm. because it's arguably a lot simpler than that. You don't need somebody to curse something necessarily. Uh-huh. It can also just, har- well, if we really want to get into it in terms of like 
where these things come from, right? Like, so yeah. cursed objects or, or entities, if you will, are usually harbored by, like, what you'd call, like, dark energy, right? So something where there's yes. so much negative emotion or spiritual attachment to something, and it just manifests. And so yes. that can manipulate one's emotions and mental states and other things. And, you know, we see it every now and then. I think, like, an, an extreme version of this would be, like, an exorcism, right? Right. Um, and sometimes, like, I think, you know, pop culture and other things gets a hold of it and starts to manipulate this idea a bit. And it is a little kind of crazy. But with this doll, I, I I don't know. I think after reading about it and getting into it, I think there's something there. Uh-huh. But I don't think it's like, I don't think this thing is causing people to go home and be cursed necessarily. However, uh-huh. I would argue that there's a possibility of like a ghost or demonic spirit if you want to be mm-hmm. which also you know the term for demons i don't think it's something out of the bible right it could just be something a, a spirit of some sort that's manifested itself mm-hmm. to a point where it can really utilize the sort of energy around it coming from the astral plane and other things i guess my my thing mm-hmm. the thing i always wonder is what i'm gonna call the herbie problem okay which is the philosophical question I had while as a child watching the film Herbie Fully Loaded was what part of Herbie that, from from all things that we can tell, is a fairly stock uh, Volkswagen bug, what part of him is alive? Because mm. in the movie, he is essentially totaled. They replace his engine at one point. They, they fix and replace a lot of parts of him, and yet Herbie is still alive, and Lindsay Lohan hmm. is able to uh, drive him, and he is still intact. Yeah. So I guess I wonder, like, how much of a physical object needs to exist in one place for said dark energy to possess it? I guess in, in, this, in this, we're also assuming that Herbie is possessed by something right i mean that makes sense because right like herbie could be possessed by like an old driver or something or just you know a crazy spirit that likes to go fast who knows (laughs) or is it a or is it a is it a cars you know disney dreamworks kind of not dreamworks oh my god disney's cars yeah where it's a possibility yeah and it's a possibility where they have organs but i don't think herbie fully loaded has organs inside of it anyway in regards to your, <laughs> to your point, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's really necessarily about always this object. I think it's the way I see it is, okay, maybe there's some sort of dark spirit attached to the house. Um, there's a child playing who's susceptible to this, this type of energy, and certain people are and certain people aren't. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the first thing you attach to? It's playing with a doll. You go to a doll, and you start manifesting within that. Mm-hmm. And then you have this child forming a relationship with a doll something that's able to communicate with it and then there's a bond that's formed yeah and that's dangerous because then you're letting that kind of come in yes and so like i think and again this is where we get into misconception territory Mm -hmm. right like i'm not necessarily saying like i'm out here like got demons exist the exorcist was a true story you got demons yeah we got this ghostbusters who you gonna call (laughs) (laughs) but no i I don't think it's 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 that romantic right i think Uh it's a real thing that happens it's happened to me um and and i can get into that ghost story in a little bit but it's not necessarily always something where it's like oh and the dog came in and chucky was walking around the house and then he pulled a knife on me it's like no this doll i don't think this doll can stand 
I don't think there's anything that's making this thing physically move, right? Okay. Like where it's a Herbie fully loaded, where this car can actually drive and blink its eyes. No, I don't think so. I don't think that makes any sense at all. But I think that there's something a bit ominous to it. So mm-hmm. do I think this thing is causing curses? Mm, not really. I don't necessarily think that it was cursed by voodoo either. But I think there's a weird attachment that was formed and caused mm-hmm. Jean's kind of descent into madness. But I don't think it's necessarily just as easy to blame a doll for abusive behavior, right? Or even just anything. I think you could chalk it up to Jean is Jean is coming to the Florida man. Uh, yeah. Curse. Like the other day, I'm like, I'm driving on, you know, 275, mm-hmm. and this guy whips by me on a motorcycle. He's going fast, weaving in and out of all of the traffic. Dude is in nothing except bathing suit and flip flops, riding fast on a motorcycle. And it's like, you know, I get it. It's hot. But oh, my God, the Florida man energy, the amount of energy of <laughs> I do not care. You know, it's too much. It's too powerful. <laughs> you got to nerf him. That hurts, though. Yeah. If you think about that, you're not wearing anything except for a bathing suit. And Nothing and to going, lose. Oh, my God. What's this man's in pain. <laughs> Who hurt you? <laughs> but yeah, I think there's some. There's some spookiness to this, but then it brings up this question. I think this is why, you know, while we have Robert here to kind of use as a story time, if you will, it's it's almost like, is it okay to be profiting off of this doll? Mm-hmm. You know, because it was donated, donated by the family into the, or whoever was in control of the state, I guess, into the museum. So it wasn't like they, they bought it necessarily. Yeah. And it's become a sort of tourist attraction which is really strange to me that, okay, I, like, when I'm reading about this story, I'm already scared that, like, it's kind of like those, like, um chain texts, you know, where they'd be like, if you don't send this to 20 people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever. And you're like, ha ha, JK, but unless. Oh, yeah, You know, yeah. you don't know. You don't know. So it's like that weird uneasiness. That's how I get looking at photos of this doll and looking at it right now, mm-hmm. where I'm doing the research and I'm like, actually gonna come and get me <laughs> no of course of course not because it's not that's not what's at all how that works but you know but what if um but yeah i think it's a bit odd that you know as a tourist you're like googling weird roadside museums in florida to visit and then ooh, now hold on this doll pops up we should go take a look and it's like clearly like it's cursed it's crazy there's this like insane story behind it and it's like i gotta see it i gotta go see this thing now i'm not judging anybody's you know, yeah, what they do in their free time and what they go visit. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, our we, that's our business as well. But again, that's ten dollars, and Robert the <laughs> doll will. What will what will Robert do for them if if we if we get ten dollars? Robert will probably curse you, but like a fun one. Oh, a fun curse. A fun curse because there could be fun curses, right? Like, yeah. What what's a fu- what's a fun curse? You think? What would be your fun curse of choice? Um, I mean, if I like, if I could like, flip a an over easy egg every time without cracking the yolk, I would consider that a fun curse. So I feel like it'd be like, you could do that. And you could flip this over easy egg. You can get that on one swing. Yeah. But then, like, every time you do it, 
you something in your house breaks. Oh, it's like a bit fun. interesting. Yeah. Okay, it's kind of like a genie situation where you you know you get one thing, but you're getting a consequence. Yes, yes. Okay. Where a bad curse would be just like you know your entire house is plagued. All right, ten dollars. Robert the doll <laughs> will teach you how to flip an egg. Oh God. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of like you ever see what we do in the shadows on Hulu, the show. I've seen like the first few episodes. Yeah. So there's there's one where Laszlo has this hat. That's like made he he fastened it or bought it I don't exactly remember out of like witch's skin. It's like the weirdest looking hat. It kind of looks like if the Sorting Hat from Harry Potter was made out of skin. Oh my god, I remember this episode. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and so like it it always kind of comes down to that. I feel like sometimes it's like a weird example of curses where they keep telling him that it's that it's cursed that this yeah. hat is cursed and you can't wear it and he's like oh, I'm gonna wear the hat because it looks good on me and then he does and then <laughs> bad things keep happening. And I don't want to spoil, but then Nick Kroll gets involved somehow, and it just gets significantly worse. Yeah. But like, I feel like that's always like the good. That's a good representation of like the sort of crazy slash parody side of curses, if you will. I think if if curses exist, it is more of trying to will something that is just not meant to happen that you will uh-huh. keep. Uh, running into problems because of just where you have situated yourself in the world. You know, I, I if we think about like curses like the Hope Diamond, right, and all of the terrible things that have happened to the people who have owned it, mm-hmm. you could, I think, imagine that partially as, you know, maybe okay, maybe the diamond really is cursed because. Uh, so many terrible things have happened. You know, like looking at the the list, uh, what do we got of its owners? Right. Uh, suicide, killed by Russian revolutionists, murdered by her sweetheart, thrown from a, a precipice along with his wife and young child. Sultan Hamid gave it to Abu Sabir to polish, but later Sabir was imprisoned and tortured, hanged by a mob in Turkey, hanged for having it in possession, torn to pieces by wild dogs in Constantinople, borrowed temporarily to wear but was disgraced and died in prison, torn to pieces by a French mob, died a ruined man, stole the jewel from his father but later died by suicide, and then the last guy died in misery and want, end quote. That's a, that's a real crazy list. Yeah, but you could also look at it as maybe less the fulfilling of a curse and more of if you have the kind of money and power and influence where this this diamond is something that can come in and out of your possession, you are also in a precarious place of politics. You know, you could very easily be someone that is not well-liked it's more sure. of the type of person that that might find themselves possessing this diamond. Like, it's less the diamond gives you a curse and more a certain type of person seems to be drawn to this diamond, a type of selfish, doomed person. Yeah, I mean, I think that plays into a lot of these things, right? And, like, people can say, like, oh, well, there's something attached to it that allows you to be attracted to this diamond and that's why it's causing all these deaths where it could also just be greed yeah 
like it it seems like out of all the stories they're all kind of tied to some sort of political or vain reason right mm-hmm. like wearing it and then something happening and other stuff and it's it's also like a crazy big diamond and so when i look at that it's like of course people are gonna want it right like so then if you're wearing it someone's gonna try to take it from you i just i don't know i mean that's always i guess that's the way i think but like that's sort of the strangeness with it but like so okay we'll look at stuff like that right like older ancient objects i feel like is what we associate as things that are cursed but like what people don't know and actually we have on display here so please was the bidding starts at two dollars each are crystals oh what, right okay. like oh i i see we have we have some witches in the audience mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, these are big in the Wiccan community. Um, mm-hmm. Fun, you know, they look good on you. You can put them on the. In, we hear the sun we hear two dollars. Do, do I hear three dollars? Gotta keep the lights on here at the UCM. <laughs> yeah, we might want to push that up to ten because uh, this one here is really large. And it's just, oh, you know, okay, okay, all right, mm-hmm. all right. Sell it, sell it to me, sell it to me. Yeah, well, we got a white quartz crystal here, and oh. uh, it's very good for SIO two. Mm-hmm. This one, this one's gonna have to go up in price. I'm gonna say we're gonna start it at ten. It's going at ten here, but um, you know the thing is, it comes with a bit of a warning. So what people, well, before you buy, right? Like if we have to do, like show me the car fox with the fox that shows <laughs> of crystals. Could so we do that? Could we start a car fax, but for cursed uh, museum objects? Show me the cursed fax. The cursed fax. I think we've got to do that. That's our next adventure. But see, but see, the thing is with, with crystals, and we're going to get into some other objects that are here for sale, there's always a... It's kind of like our genie's curse, right? There's a pro, but there's a con. Uh-huh. So they say for, you know, people who want to be young and young witches, right, that yeah. crystals are good for channeling, and they get you the positive energy that you need, and they kind of help you throughout. And yeah, sure, if you believe it, that's true, I guess. But if you read into it, yeah, and you you know, start to actually see the history and stuff behind it if you believe this or if you don't. Uh, it goes both ways. So if you're angry and you're yelling and you're wearing crystals and you have crystals everywhere, it's just going to amplify that according to, you know, this belief, right, that crystals channel energy. So if you, you know, you're really happy, you're positive, you're doing all these great things, the crystals are going to be good and they're going to help you. But if you're angry and upset, it's just going to make everything worse. Okay. Hence the sort of like self-fulfilling prophecies that seem to be happening with Hope Diamond. So it's kind of one of these strange things that I, I personally struggle with where, you know, you go to, you're going to the flea market, you're coming to our auction here and you're seeing these crystals, but you don't really know where they're from or who owned them. And if people leave their energy, if you will, or sort of mark on things, you know, it's quite possible you're buying something that's got some residue on it. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is the this is the thing about hauntings in general is you have to assume someone has died everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think people would ask then, well, why aren't we seeing ghosts all of the time? And I've heard all sorts of different theories from you see fewer ghosts now because technology, the 5G or something mm-hmm. interferes with the frequency that ghosts uh, oh occur God. at. <laughs> Or no. um, or that people just, you know, used to uh, just die so much in, in so many more horrific ways in the past. But I, I still feel like anywhere you go, there, there, has, there has to have been, you know, 
someone that that died too young or died um, in an unfortunate way. Yeah, but like it doesn't mean that they decided to just kind of hang out on Earth, right? Like, I guess if you if you buy into it, yeah. Like the uh, let's humor five G for a minute. Okay. So for some reason. Victorian ghosts and Civil War ghosts are the only ghosts that exist because they're old. And now that 5G and frequencies exist that are more advanced, mm-hmm. uh, they just, there's not as many ghosts. Ghost population's down. We got to boost it up. It's a bit, dare I say, human. I would just like to say that um, in front of this crowd that I am not in favor of making more ghosts. That is that is purely Joe's position. Uh, Joe no, does no, not no, represent no, no, no. the uh, values here at the Uncanny County Museum. Let me let me clarify here. No, we don't want more ghosts. Ghosts are bad. Like there is no Casper the Friendly Ghost. There is no whatever fun ghost story that you're told on sort of like a just general TV network, right? This isn't like a Charlie Brown episode where the Great Pumpkin's haunted or something and it's fun. No, no, no. no. Ghosts are bad. Even in principle, they're bad, right? Like, think if you're if you're supposed to die and then leave and go to the afterlife, whatever that is for you, you're not supposed to stay here. Yeah. So ghosts stay here according to the mythology of it, and that's bad. Mm-hmm. So the fact that people try to form like relationships and it's fun and it's kind of like, oh, ghosts are cool. It's like, no, they're not. They're evil. It's bad. It doesn't, or maybe not necessarily evil, but but it's Joe, bad. what if? What if what if the ghost is kind of hot? No, <laughs> they're not <laughs> physical. They don't have physical bodies. Uh, like your ghost boyfriend? Is this like the zombie boyfriend kind of thing? Is that a thing? That's a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's people with zombie that that I'm I'm uh, sure that's a, that's a fetish. I'll, not, I'll, yeah, let's not. I'd, do I'd that like. Our audience uh, I'll, I'll I'll plead rule thirty four. <laughs> But this is like, you know, here, like, speaking of our next object here, we have a, a Ouija board that's going for $4. Do I hear $4? $4? But these are the tools that I think throughout my youth I've, I've heard a lot of use of and I've partaken, and it's the worst. Oh, the worst. I don't like them, and here's why I don't like them. It's not <laughs> even that they're possibly real. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I personally don't, I always thought, like, it's always somebody pushing it, right? Uh-huh. Like, it's always somebody. Like, I've done this with my family. I've done this with friends. Like, mm-hmm. I uh, don't really buy into the fact that these are, like, the ghost communicators. Yeah. And if you read into it, if, you know, from sources all over and doing different research, and, you know, you're going to obviously get people that are like, oh, well, actually, you have to, actually, this is a friend of mine that told me this, but, you know, there's the witching hour. And that's it from 12 to like 3 a.m. And that's when the ghosts come out. And that's when they want to like chat. Well, this explains why I've never seen a ghost. Well, I guess you just weren't up late enough. Yeah. You gotta be up at that time, which makes no sense. But for some reason, they follow a strict schedule. And keto, for some reason. These ghosts clearly don't have day jobs. No, they just kind of vibe. And, you know, watch anime <laughs> or something all day. But, yeah, they, again, these are like these weird rules that show up. And with Ouija boards, the thing I don't really necessarily like is that you read into it and you kind of get into it they're supposed to be kind of like i dare i say portals but like openings right like it's kind of like if you were to shoot a flare in the sky mm-hmm. and be like hey y'all uh come over and that's kind of what they do it's it's sort of a ghost signal to mm-hmm. attract different things to you i just don't buy the fact that people putting their hands on a triangle and it moves magically is really what does it i think somebody's always pushing it because uh-huh. i'm paranoid <laughs> 
So it's console. It's never just something else. And I've had friends admit that they were pushing it. So uh-huh. I don't know. But again, these are like this is where I start to find a strangeness to these objects that very well could be cursed, or they could just be rumored to be cursed. Robert the Doll here could actually be cursed, or it's a myth, and it was sort of an excuse for him to do bad things and get away with it. Or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could look at some of this stuff as the the, the collected unconscious of humanity's sins, almost. I think in the United States, there's the trope of the the Indian burial ground that yeah. you know has you know been desecrated. There's that sort of collective guilt. Yeah, you know, and you know that might manifest itself in some unseen or unobserved way. Yeah, I could, I could, I could almost buy into something like that. I mean, but we feel those things differently in the United States than they might in Europe. I know from. Sure. Uh, you know, bo- both of us wandered around the flea markets in Italy, and mm-hmm. um, you know, lot of lot of SS helmets there. Yep. Clearing out a uh, grandpa's attic, and you know he got that helmet either because he killed someone or uh, he had a deep dark secret. Yeah, my thing always was like. Okay, so you're you're at a flea market, you're setting up, you're kind of selling things from the attic, or you're kind of dumpster diving, right? Yeah. And a lot of these, I think, it's, in Italy, it's, it's a mix of both. But who's buying it? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, different, but I don't go around to flea markets and go, you know, today, I'm looking for some Nazi paraphernalia. That's what I want. You just, you want to you wanna hope they're shooting a movie. Yeah. Or I guess, like, you, you could argue, like, oh, it's the people that collect, because I've known people that don't. Oh, not Nazi collections, but just general like war stuff, like things from the yeah and, and all that. And like, fine. I always kind of felt uncomfortable. Like, I mean, I've been to my share of flea markets in the U.S. too, and uh, they're always kind of odd. Like, it's always just like these weird dudes who are selling army stuff, and you know, you get some Soviet era hats and knives, and I've seen a Nazi knife once or twice, and yeah, some American stuff. And I always just it it feels weird, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm alone on this, but it always felt like. This was somebody's item, or it, maybe it's surplus, but nine times out of ten, it's not. And it was somebody's knife. Maybe it was used to kill somebody. Maybe it wasn't. Or it's a, in a piece of clothing that mm-hmm. they had at one point. And, like, I don't know. I just I feel weird obtaining that object. And not that necessarily. Like, I think I always I also have this weird cross parallel with that to, like, when I buy used guitars. Like, I yeah. don't buy any of my instruments new, usually, unless it's, like, electronic. And even in that case... Not always, right? Mm-hmm. Because I always think that they have like a personality to them. You know, like a used guitar is going to sound very different than a new one. Yeah. And for me, I'm always kind of like, it's like I'm adopting an instrument. Yeah. But I I don't know. It has to be kind of like the right vibe for me. And in certain cases, I think that's very odd. Yeah. Um, Going to like a flea market and picking up certain things that are kind of questionable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess you can make that argument for anything, right? Like you were saying, it could be, is it just any objects get this attachment or is it just like the negative ones or positive you know yeah it's a very strange um market which is so bizarre that you know we have to compete with haunted ebay so we got it right here yeah it's uh (laughs) i mean the 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 desire to be 
close to those things, you know, the, the magical thinking, because definitely people have a fascination with it. Uh, like you sure. were saying with the case of uh, Robert the Doll, you know, mm-hmm. it is an attraction for that museum. And, you know, there's a lot of small towns that, uh, you know, if you've got the haunted house, that is a tourist attraction or... um yeah you know there's 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 places that you know i'm pretty sure i think they tore down john wayne gacy's house but i I can't remember which serial killer i think they have turned the house into a uh into a museum but you you can't deny that there's there's probably someone out there selling like charles manson paraphernalia oh for sure i mean you can go to um eastern state penitentiary and visit al capone's haunted uh cell and that's like a tourist attraction. It's huge, big money. Oh, God, the smell. Yeah. So it's not... It's very odd. Al- Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think there's this, like, it's a strange fascination with both the occult and, you know, cursed and haunted things. Do mm-hmm. you have any Do you have any ghost stories? You ever... Uh, no. I have mm-hmm. never, um... I've never uh, encountered a ghost. I think the okay, or or something that I couldn't necessarily explain. I, that could be because I've never really put myself in the situation to be in the. Well, you know, I worked in a in a funeral home for a number of years in high school. Oh wow! Uh, and so mm-hmm. I have spent my fair share of time in cemeteries at different hours of the day. Even um, Showman's Rest in Tampa, which is a clown cemetery because of the Ringling Brothers used to winter down here in Florida. That's uh, what Ringling College is named after down in Sarasota. But um, a lot of circus performers and just performers in general were buried in that uh, cemetery. Huh. So I've been to a clown cemetery and have not seen a ghost. So... It, and that that is that is maybe the the primed place to see something creepy and yet i have not sure sure i mean i'm gonna be the first to tell you that's probably a good thing it's not something to be it's not good right like <laughs> i don't th- i don't think you want well some people do but personally if i could avoid it i would love it right? okay if i didn't have to deal now now what now what about you You've been teasing this ghost story. Oh, yeah. I think my favorite slash worst is like when I was vacationing down in South Carolina in Myrtle Beach with my family. We stayed in this like really big beach house. Mm-hmm. And it was like fun. It was like the first year we we're like, oh, we're going to go all out. We're going to get like this like three story beach house with a top floor and it's right on the beach and it's like for a week and it's ours and it's going to be great and we're going to have like a blast and we all got like our own bedrooms all over the place and they were like massive because my house you mm-hmm. know on the east coast is it's small so mm-hmm. it, you know that was a big deal it was like so much fun and it, you used to do it every year and so we go into this house and we're having a good time we're going on the beach and we're going to eat and stuff and we come home and one night we all go to sleep i don't know probably like 10 at night or 11 at night who knows and it, there's just a ton of banging, like a lot, a lot of banging. And it, we're, we're talking like, cause like all the, um, the windows had shutters on them. And so they would be like closed. And so it was just constantly like I'm sleeping in my bed and it's just all night stuff is being slammed into the window and on the roof where there's a ton of chairs, and there was like a hot tub and that was like the selling point for us. 
and it's just all these beach chairs and stuff like the kind of like the heavy plastic ones but not the ones you would bring onto the beach right right it sounds like these things are getting thrown all around and at first you know through the night i'm like oh it's a windstorm because we're on the ocean so uh-huh. oh yeah it's pretty bad the wind's pretty bad and you know i'm just kind of like up all night because it's really loud and it's like whatever this is fine and you know wake up and i talk to my parents I'm like yes yeah, it's really loud last night and they're like yeah it was and like because the same thing happened to them the windows are doing the same thing you're hearing everything and it was like okay it's pretty wild and the fact is well one after looking at weather reports there was no wind and this continued <laughs> for the whole time this just happened every night it would be uh-huh. loud and banging and there would be other things that were happening there would be like random I don't know if you got these down in Florida, but they're like spiky plants, like almost like seeds in the pot of the plant that kind of like fall. I don't know what they're called, but they're really small. Sand spurs? Like or Maybe. Like they have thorns all over yeah, them. Yeah, sand spurs. And they're like little... Yeah. They are like on the rug. Don't know where that come, came from. But then at this point... I mean, ta- like, talk, about like, it, talk about being cursed. Those, th- those mm, show up. Everywhere. I had it in my foot, man. Went right in my foot. You know... It's awful. Glitter is a curse. That's a fun curse, though, right? Like, at least you're fabulous. <laughs> I don't know what about you. Okay. <laughs> Just get it yeah. stuck everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I glitter is for sure a curse mm-hmm. in that case. But yeah, I mean, that was enough to, you know, we're, we're leaving vacation, you're thinking about it, and you're like, mm, mm-hmm. this one's wind. Because you'd go up to and everything, the way everything was kind of placed, and how stuff was happening was just thrown all over. Uh-huh. And uh, it was very sketchy. Mm-hmm. But again, part of the thing you're supposed to, well, not supposed to, but like should do is ignore it. Yeah. Because if you feed into it, it's just going to make things worse. And like, I think at this point, so my family started becoming obsessed and interested in this kind of stuff. And like, we had like the, those like EMF detectors and things. You like go to the graveyards and like, you know, yeah. see if there's any ghosts, which is like mega disrespectful. <laughs> like, God, we don't do that anymore. But like at this time, this is I think where my fascination comes from, and why I was so excited for, you know, this auction and things to happen because it's a really important thing to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have that. There's some other crazy, weird experiences. I don't think it's as they're not as vibrant as that. It's not nothing was thrown around. Right. Like, you know, we've yeah. Had some, we've had some stuff kind of happen in the house where it gets kind of. You know, you hear things at night. Yeah, I mean, the throwing is scary. That that implies something violent and something strong. Yeah, well, because the thing is, like, okay, so when there's wind, it's consistent, and you can hear the wind, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you're hearing it, and then there's things kind of being moved that way. There's no sound. It's just banging. There was no wind. There was no whistling, nothing like that. And we're up high, so it's, yeah. it's like, you know, sound doesn't just stop. So that was kind of the thing where we're like, okay, well, there's no wind. So what's going on here? And yeah, it was very disconcerting, I have to say, and uncomfortable. But yeah, uh, that's probably my main ghost story I always like to tell. And again, hence why I will never touch a Ouija board. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't even care. I've had friends who'd be like, oh, we got a 3 a.m., it's Ouija time. And I'm like, I'm going to leave your house. I actually did do that. I did threaten to leave one of my friends' houses before. <laughs> you know, and pitched a fit and was like, I'm not, I'm not touching that. But do I hear $5 for the Ouija board? Five dollars. Five dollars. Come on. Uh, museum needs money. <laughs> Please, it's our funding. We need this. We have to pay this visit. Yes. Well, there are there are objects I think that carry a different kind of curse as well. There are maybe other ways to look at this other than just the supernatural. If if you want to think of something being radioactive, 
as a curse. One thing a lot of people don't uh, realize is a lot of dinosaur bones are actually radioactive. I remember uh, at one point uh, while I was working at the Carter County Museum in Ecolaca, Montana, the curator of paleontology, uh, a guy named Nate Carroll, was going around with a Geiger counter to check our collection. And, um, you know, it was going around. And you could hear from the Geiger counter there was a high baseline radiation in wow. the fossil storage room. But not necessarily enough to be dangerous. And then as he got closer and closer to this one shelf, and he goes, zzz, zzz, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> and he's like, nobody go near that bone. And it was, uh, I want to say it was the dental battery of a Triceratops. And it turns out that this thing was, you know, maybe it wouldn't kill you if you were around it, you know, once or twice. But, you know, if somebody was sitting there preparing it and there was, you know, they were breathing in dust from it um, and they were next to it for hours and hours, it could cause problems. The, the thing people don't realize is uh, uranium often will precipitate on dinosaur fossils in the western United States in the Hell Creek Formation. There are even some stories, I don't know how uh, confirmed these are, but it would, it would kind of be one of those things you hear from people out west, that during World War II, for the Manhattan Project, in order to get their hands on uranium, there were people out west uh, from the government digging up uh, radioactive dinosaur bones and uh, grinding them up to uh, get the uranium to enrich. Huh. It's, uh, it's, kind, of a, uh, it's kind of a crazy thing to... It, it, it's, it's almost surreal to think about. Forget 5G, man. Dinosaur <laughs> bones. That's the 5G. The dinosaurs are radioactive with 5G. Oh my god, it's too much. Yeah, that's crazy though. I would never have thought bones, let alone dinosaur bones, to be radioactive and like poisonous. Yeah, that's wow. it's um you know they're uh they're stone at that point. All of the bone has sure. been replaced by minerals. Right. And I mean, I think dinosaurs also carry the curse too, unfortunately, of their value, like these crystals, like diamonds. Because they have a value associated with them, they become valuable, one, to science, but now they're also valuable in a monetary sense. Someone digs up a rare fossil on their land, you know, often it's on ranch land, and you're asking people, do you donate this to science, and your name is in the museum and everything, and your name's on the books, um, and it's in the public trust, or you could sell that and you could get money. And that's that's a that's a difficult position to put someone in, you know? Sure. I think of Sue the T-Rex, where, you know, there was such a huge dispute over who owned Sue, you know, whether it belonged to the Sue tribe, because um, one of one of the people who claimed uh, Sue was found on their uh, property was... Maurice Williams, who was a member of the Sioux tribe. And, uh, you know, then this was a matter of, well, was this, uh, you know, uh, did it belong to the federal land? Did it belong to the people that dug it up? There was 
huge controversy about that. And I, I've even met the uh, guy that Pete Larson that was thrown in jail for a while during that whole debacle for slightly unrelated reasons. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Strange. But, you know, this is Sue. Sue is so um, important to science. There's not that many Tyrannosaurus skeletons that are that complete. And when it mm -hmm. went up for auction, there was a really big fear that this is going to go into a private collection and is not going to be studied, and it is not going to further our understanding of Tyrannosaurs or, uh, you know, the Cretaceous in general. And that was a very real fear because that's this is something that happens all the time. People with money see value in fossils, especially rare fossils, and very complete fossils, ones that look good, and they want to buy them, you know, like art. And that, that's a whole other thing, you know, whether or not pieces of art that you could argue are a part of a cultural heritage should be in private collections or these should be in the public trust in a museum. And then so Sue sells uh, at Sotheby's for $8,362,500. Wow. In 1997 dollars. Jeez. You know, that is an enormous uh, amount of money at the time and still now for a museum to fork out. And really, the Field Museum only got it because Walt Disney World and McDonald's helped pay for it. Interesting. So you could almost look at that as like the curse of corporate interest in our what are supposed to be public resources that th there wasn't money in our educational system for this for what is essentially a museum on one level is a museum attraction right um but on another is something so invaluable to science but we needed that private money to get it yeah so that it did not end up in some billionaire's mansion. Uh, there, there, there are so many stories I've heard from you know working with people that uh, dig and prep fossils about really gorgeous pieces that you know they sell to the highest bidder and they're going to prep them however they want. I heard from this one guy. He was um, somebody was working on a triceratops, and this is this is this is a little bit of hearsay. That I'm throwing out there, so I'm not going to say any names. Okay. But, um, you know, this guy goes over to see how this prep of a triceratops is going. And if, uh, if my friend is to be believed, the triceratops was incredibly complete. I think the words were, it could have died yesterday. Whoa. And this thing had skin impressions. One thing he told me was, it was like, it had hooves. Hmm. Like the um the toe pads and the sort of nail that we've never really found before were still intact. And we could possibly know like, oh, dinosaurs had like, you know, hooves on top of their toes or something. But because of the way it was being prepped, the, whoever was paying for it to be prepped, that is, you know, have, have the excess dirt removed and had the, the skeleton cleaned, they 
wanted everything cleaned except the bone. So mm. all of that soft tissue remains completely stripped away down to the bone. And, you know, without, without the oversight, without, you know, people carefully going through all that, all of that gets lost. And mummified dinosaurs are so, so rare. And every time they are found, there is almost always an enormous wealth of information that comes with them. And yet you have people that, you know, have money and want these really museum quality specimens for themselves. And they don't know what they have. There's, um, there was a National Geographic story about this guy, um, an Italian film director, Francesco Invernizzi. And he buys a huge, beautiful mosasaur skull. Uh, mosasaur is a big uh, marine reptile. And uh, he says, I've always wanted to have a dinosaur fossil. This is such a big deal to me. And what I really love about this article is the, uh, the author very snarkily puts, how does he write it? He says, uh, quoting uh, Invernizzi, he says, I finally decided to buy one, end quote. Though the massive skull he purchased belongs to a mosasaur, which is a marine reptile and not a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, God. It is so, oh, That's my funny. gosh. I like that. The shade. Um, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at a picture of it and it is gorgeous, gorgeous skull, but you know, it's sitting in this guy's living room. That's pretty crazy. Like, just about just like you have so much money and power that you're like, ah, I want a dinosaur. So I'm going to get one. And then you do, and you put it in your living room instead of a museum or instead of a place that can study it and begin to understand it. That's crazy that they stripped that skeleton too. Because I didn't even think that happened. I didn't know there were mummified dinosaurs. Yeah, the, um, it's uh, there. There were lots of stories at the museum of you know well-intentioned people you know come in and they're like, I found this dinosaur bone, and they bring it into the museum, and if they didn't write down where they found it, there could be a whole skeleton back there, but wow, they just grabbed the piece they saw that had been exposed at the surface. Right, yeah. You know, um, th th this would happen quite a bit. And it's, you know, trying to, it's trying to educate people. But, at the, you know, at the same time, if this stuff is found on their property, by law, it is theirs. Sure. There's, um, you know, not to just pile, I, I don't want to just pile it on to private landowners because there's plenty of other stories I've heard from their end where, you know, somebody will find a gorgeous fossil on their on their property and they do the right thing they call the museum and you know i heard plenty of stories of you know jack horner and his crew go out there from the museum of the rockies and they shut the family out of the area they take all the stuff they don't really you know let them in on the discovery and what they found there's bad blood between these private landowners that are supposed to have this relationship, this voluntary relationship with these museums. And so it's unfortunately, it's, it, it's, not, it's not always equitable. Yeah, for sure. Especially once, once you get into this whole thing that now there's money involved, now there's value. There is the curse of value, if you will. Yeah, I mean, greed. 
right? Mm-hmm. It is the biggest downfall, and it's kind of what connects all of these objects at the end of the day. I mean, you could you could quite literally keep something that's potentially has you know evil spirits or curses connect to it, but at the end of the day, you're still profiting off it. Yeah. Or very well, you know, you could do the same thing with the dinosaur bones. Is that something that is rooted in educational value and studying our past and how what was here before even humankind and then people utilize that for putting it in their living rooms as decor or going onto other people's property and then sort of taking it and doing what they will whether it be working for the museum like you were saying or even just kind of for more personal interest and i think that's yeah that's an important question and something worth kind of looking into and i think regardless of the the supernatural elements that we've been discussing in the beginning of this that it is important to kind of start to look at that and question it. Yeah, hit it out of the part, Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> yeah, it's... And, and then you enter into the whole world of museum ownership itself, you know, that it's, that it's in the public trust. It's supposed to be something we all own. And then you could get into another problem of the discretion of the museum as to what they are collecting. Uh, there is, are, are you familiar at all with the work of Charles Craft? I'm not. Um, well, it happens we have some of his work here, and we're going to decommission oh. it right now and sell it at this auction. And what? they can do with it what they please. What a deal. So Charles Craft did a lot of work with uh, slipcast porcelain. Um, you know, he would slip cast skulls and grenades and guns and oh, wow. would sort of paint on in this kind of faux mishima uh sort of style sort of nazi emblems or just kind of like really macho looking stuff and it, kind of the joke was it was this you know the very kind of sophisticated antique feminine look of very fragile blue and white porcelain with you know these sort of violent uh things and violent embellishments he called it disaster wear Mm. and then in 2013 you know he had been in uh you know all of these museums uh there were lots of wealthy people that collected his work or wanted to collect his work and then in 2013 he's like yeah, I'm a uh, Holocaust skeptic and a white nationalist. Oh. Everyone thought he was, like, you know, joking. Sure. And that, you know, it was, like, ironic. Yeah. And then it turns out, nope. He's... <laughs> oh. he, he's just like that. It's just for fun. Yeah. So um, oh. start the bidding at 50 cents. Uh, 50 cents okay you got it and catch there you go all right get rid of some of these (laughs) i mean museums can trap themselves in in these problems of collecting things and holding on to them with the assumption of their cultural value one of the things i remember uh, one of the stories i remember at the museum at the rockies was someone at some point dropped off a ton of woven baskets. These were not hmm. antique woven baskets. These were not like 
baskets woven by an indigenous tribe. They were just woven wicker baskets. And someone dropped off tons and tons of them with no information to the museum. They, and you know, they're absolutely worthless, but the museum has a policy. All right, well, it's here. That means we are obligated to hold on to it for like 20 years. Oh. So they had to wait and wait and wait until, you know, they had to make attempts. They had to have documented attempts to, uh, you know, try and figure out whose these were before they could finally decommission them. You know, decommissioning is kind of a tricky problem for museums because anytime someone donates something and museums want to encourage people to donate things, the understanding is this will belong to all of us. This will be in the public trust. And what ends up happening every now and then is um, museums are not infinite spaces, unlike our lovely Uncanny County Museum here. And they, you know, they can't house everything. And they can't afford to house everything. There's lots of stories of small museums having to sell off some of their attractions to keep the lights on. And then you're left with the question, well, one, why should we give our things to this museum if they're going to sell them? And, you know, uh, then what's the point of going to this museum? It, uh, it raises a lot of ethical questions as well. And I mean, it's, it's tricky sometimes for museums that, you know, th- there's something like Nydia herring fish fossils that, you know, are not, each one is not necessarily of any great significance to science. And if there was mm-hmm. a fossil that was going to be in private hands, you know, maybe that's not the worst. That's, that's better than, you know, something that, you know, could tell us some more. Sure. But even that doesn't always look good if a museum has to unload some of them every now and then because every time you dig in the Green River formation, inevitably you're going to come back home with a bunch of Nydia herring. Right. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, that's so complicated. <laughs> when you start, like, I'm like, trying to run my head around that as well, and you're like, oh my god, like having to actually sell the things that you want to collect because you have too much of something that's not worth anything, I guess. <laughs> and and worth meaning in terms of, you know, currency, but also just knowledge. Like if you have multiples of something and it becomes repetitive, how much of that do you need? But then is it also justified to sell it? I don't know. Uh, Roy Chapman Andrews, the uh, the paleontologist, uh, he found the first dinosaur eggs in Mongolia in the Gobi Desert, and Whoa. he, uh, you know, they needed money for the next round of expeditions, so they sold one egg and some casts. And uh, mind you, at the time, no one had ever found a dinosaur egg before, huh? And identified it, I should say, as a dinosaur egg. And there was a big uproar about that. Uh, like, you know, that here's, here is the American Museum of Natural History going into another country, taking its natural resources, and then even with their, you know, their, their intentions. Like, Roy Chapman Andrews worked very hard to keep those expeditions science-minded. He 
turned down offers to have them funded by mineral and gas companies uh, that wanted to send prospectors out with him. You know, he wow. wanted this to be about the fossils and the geology. Sure, sure. But, you know, that doesn't look good when you come back and you have just discovered dinosaur eggs and here you are selling one to, to pay for these expeditions. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the value is, to, to me, strikes me more of a curse than anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's that those are the consequences, right? Selling an egg in order to keep moving for science and for your ex expedition or expedition. But, you know, you had to sell that, you know, I guess priceless artifact, right? <laughs> Something that's, that's so important for knowledge. Again, not having had that before and then it's gone. Not to mention it's not yours to really claim or, or whose is it, but like, you're going to that. The thing that I'm stuck on is it's like, okay, they went to Mongolia, found something that no one has yet to find, and then they just sold it. Like, how does that, I don't know. It seems a bit yikes for one, but also just, man, I wonder how they felt about that afterwards, if they felt anything for it. Yeah, I mean, in his autobiography, I think he's very defensive of it. Um, sure. I think he looks at it from a very American point of view and a very practical, I shouldn't say practical because he's American, but I mean like, like you, you know, the type of person that's just very practical looking at, well, we found yeah. all of this stuff and we sold one fossil. Right. And he's, you know, very much about his, his principles of the whole thing. And I mean, the funny thing was they were in Mongolia looking for the remains of the first humans. Uh, because Roy Chapman Andrews was under the impression that humanity was born in the Asian steppe. Oh. And that if he, if he, 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 he found, you know, from his time living in Asia, his, his impression was the cultures here are so old and so rich. This must be where humanity is from. And they found no human fossils in Mongolia. Right. <laughs> yeah, because they, you know, immigrated there, but... Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's a bit of a completely different thing, right? Come home with... Or go home... Go looking for something and coming home with a totally different thing that you were looking for. But, yeah, I mean... I don't know. That's a bit problematic. <laughs> But yeah, it's an interesting kind of point to raise, right? And like from, again, crossing this with the supernatural haunted doll right next to us to radioactive fossils that, who knew? But yeah, it is kind of strange what people put or assign value to and what is kind of shown for both entertainment and also to kind of keep the lights on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're showing off fossils and, and dinosaur skeletons and other and cursed dolls artifacts. and you know yeah yeah knives that killed people yeah i mean you know it's and i i, I don't i don't say this to sound cynical because you know these the, these institutions serve a purpose but you know it's you know i i live in a place with a lot of museums currently and you know one of them is a holocaust museum and the point of it is not the business, you know, that is a, you know, a, a very, uh, 
a very special space culturally. And, but you know, someone does the accounting. There's an electric bill, I assume. Yeah. You, you know, you see any of these nice buildings that represents an investment of a community and a culture saying, this is where we are going to put, th this is where we are going to put our infrastructure and uh, our, uh, our powers to educate people. And this, you are saying this is what's important. If you see a cursed object in a museum, on some level, someone is saying this is important. Right, right. So, which is fascinating when you get sort of the, you know, haunted museums, right? Where it's it's an entire institution built around that idea. And it kind of begs the question whether the people that own it or run those types of places believe it. Yeah. Or they kind of are just doing it because other people do. Yeah. Right? And I think that's, yeah. And I think a lot of this too kind of separates these artifacts and cursed objects we're talking about versus, you know, Ouija boards that are technically children's toys or crystals that are polished rocks that are assigned, well, they're not really rocks, but you know what I yeah. mean, are assigned something else because of a history and yeah. other uses for them. Mm -hmm. the same with, you know, we can connect it back to Laszlo's hat, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what we do in the shadows, something that's just is made and has this identity to it. And then it's kind of changed as it goes. So I don't know. I think it's a bit, um, yeah, I think there's a lot more to curses than just scary haunted ghosts that make you lose your car keys when you're trying to go home or lock you out of your hotel room. I think <laughs> it spreads more to that. It, well, you know, there, I, th I think of things, things that have haunted me after I've mm. seen them in a museum. Like, you know, you can... Um, Take this here, also on the uh, roster up to auction. We've got the, what is called the Warren Cup. It's a silver chalice for fancy Roman parties. And all over it is inscribed drawings of older men having sex with their young, uh, with their young protégés. And, you know, this, this is the, the institutionalized cis cycle of sexual abuse in the greco-roman world yeah and you know the 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 associations of this this being an object of sophistication you know you can go into you go into like slaves quarters in you know plantation museums or monticello and you uh that you, you you can't say that you know you're you're never going to have a ghost tour there that is i think i think people would find that distasteful but I, I i want to use the word haunting very carefully i mean that those are spaces and objects that you can't shake after you've been in their presence i think you know the first time i saw a box car in a Holocaust museum, I think I was shaken, and I, I, I still am when I go into Holocaust museums, just, you know, from what that means to me culturally. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point you bring up, too, where objects can leave you with that haunted feeling, and yeah. it's not necessarily just something that's 
a gimmick, if you will. Yeah. Or states clearly, oh, this was a this is a doll that's you know uh, shaking up some people or killed someone or whatever, right? Like, uh, this is something- they can't all be haunted by Herbie. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, Herbie, Herbie was a Volkswagen. Doesn't that make him German? I guess. Right. Yeah. I. I. You know what? I'm not even going to get into the implications of that. Yeah, probably not. Not good. No. That's like some Cars theories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the the very in the Cars universe, there is a car pope. Mm-hmm. Yes. They they are Carthlic, if you will. Oh, please don't. <laughs> Does that mean Jesus was Car Jesus? Was there is Car Jesus that is confirmed? Yeah. Okay. But there was also a Car War multiple car wars because of the um you know the one sarge i think is his name is an army car so oh right yeah. yeah i'm not gonna get into my cars theory here because that's a totally different thing and i'm gonna let people we'll we'll, let we'll take people crowd. on the tour of the implications of the cars universe another day yeah yeah that's a different that's a different time but um it's a bit crazy but yeah, <laughs> haunted haunted cars and dolls. I feel like is quite an eventful time at the auction. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we got a we got a couple bucks to keep the lights on here at the Uncanny mm-hmm. County Museum, um, and you know we uh, we get to loosen the load a little bit of our enormous collection to make make some room for some new things to to hopefully show people uh, besides uh, you know. Charles Craft ceramics and uh, unmarked crystals. Absolutely. That about does it for our auction today, folks. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, uh, this this was a good talk. Good talk, Frozen Jogurt. <laughs> That's a new one. I like that. <laughs> well, uh, for the Uncanny County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. We'll see you next time. Bye.